And we got paid for bonuses. And then I asked him, like, how much you get paid? And he told me. And I said, hold on a second. He got paid, like, three times my bonus. I was like, no. I took that off with the company. I showed them, like, this is the work I've done. These are all the things I've achieved. And this person has not done any of that stuff. Uh, but, yeah, they, they, he, he got paid three times more. But the thing is that if I hadn't had that conversation with him, I would have never have known. And I'd just be grateful that I got, um, you know, a bonus. Hello and welcome to the Bossing It podcast. This series will be exploring real life stories of women on a mission to build big brands and fulfilled lives. Each guest will share the ups and downs of growing their business and get real about the challenges life has thrown their way on the road to success. Each episode will offer a fresh outlook on life and business and you'll also get to hear top tips from these amazing founders that will inspire you on your own mission of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Connie Longdon-Jefferson, and today I'm joined by Arena Okonkwo, the woman shaking up how consumers budget for and buy luxury fashion. She founded her app, Kashmir, in 2018 after a run-in with a pair of designer shoes that she desperately wanted but didn't want to dip into her savings for, a feeling I definitely resonate with. The idea for Kashmir was born, and Arena has now created an innovative social saving platform that helps trend-obsessed young shoppers save towards and purchase designer pieces without turning to credit cards or pay later services. Scrolling through the Kashmir app is like flicking through an issue of Vogue, with iconic brands from Fendi to Gucci featured and more designers being added all the time. With a background as a financial advisor, it's no surprise that Arena is passionate about promoting a healthy attitude towards money and is dedicated to helping young women afford the life they deserve. In this episode, we discuss the realities of being a woman in fintech, the need to break the taboo around talking about money, and hear why investing in luxury items is better for the planet and our wardrobes. We also talk about the fundraising journey for a fashion-based app and find out how Arena has already raised £100,000 in investment. I'm obsessed with the Kashmir app and now I'm equally obsessed with Arena. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone and welcome to the Bossing It podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Today I'm going to be chatting to someone who I'm so excited to talk to. It's really great when you get to chat to someone who you are such a fan of what they're doing. I'm joined by Yurena Okonkwo, who is shaking up how consumers budget for and buy luxury fashion with her app, Cashmere. Yurena, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I know you're just off back from a holiday, so I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. It's not Tuscany, but it'll do. Um, So for anyone who doesn't know you and doesn't know Cashmere, could you just start by giving us a bit of an intro as to what the business is and sort of how you got there? Yeah, sure. So hi, everybody. Um, I'm Yurena and I am co-founder and CEO of Kashmir. So my background is in private wealth management. So I used to work as a financial advisor for high net worth individuals, um, managing their investments and providing them financial advice. Um, and then prior to that, I also worked in um, professional services, worked at KPMG for a bit. Um, so my background is very much, um, I guess, very traditional and very like finance heavy. Um, I studied economics and finance at university also, um, but I've always been a very creative person. I've always liked building stuff from scratch and turning something from an idea into like a reality. Um, and I guess that's kind of what pushed me to leave the world, leave the very stable world of finance and um, build my own fintech company. 
I really love, like, I've heard this story of how you came up with the idea of cashmere a few times. Would you mind sharing it with us today? Because I think it's, um, it was like a real light bulb moment for you, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a very random day, to be honest. Um, I, it was just a you know, normal day. I was out with my friends and we decided to go into Harrods and just like, you know, do a bit of window shopping. And we were browsing around in shoe heaven. And uh, I basically saw a pair of um, Christian Louboutin heels that I just like instantly fell in love with. And I tried them on. It was perfect, perfect size, perfect fit, everything. I could walk in it. Um, and then when I was about to pay for it, like, you know how in luxury, like, stores, you don't really show the prices of stuff. It's only when you get to the yeah, tour no. and they're like, oh, that would That's be That's when you know you can't afford it as well. You're like, mm, <laughs> there's no price. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I got to the tour and they were like, oh, yeah, that would be £650. Um, and I was like, oh. <laughs> um, and, you know, a part of me was like, mm, you know, I could buy the shoes and, you know, use my credit card to buy them. Or uh, I could, like, use my savings money, my savings account, you know, do that quick, cheeky bank transfer mm-hmm. from my savings account to my current account um but then the other part of me was like no like don't do that that's like not responsible like you're a financial advisor take your financial advice all of that jazz um so I ended up not buying the shoes and so like later on I was just thinking to myself that if I had you know like a special stash of cash so money I was macro saving um towards like treating myself to all these like nice like impulsive purchases then I wouldn't have felt that guilt um because you know the problem wasn't that I didn't have money or options it was just that the money and options I had at that point were not necessarily the most responsible options to take at that given point um, and then that was kind of like the light bulb moment moments for me like I was like oh you know what I'm gonna create an app that will help me do this and so I can buy all the Chanel bags and all the Gucci handbags I want without feeling guilty about it um, so yeah, and then that's kind of how the idea sort of like um, came about. And then I started to do a bit more research into like the fintech world and understanding like consumer savings and credit and all of that stuff. And um, and yeah, and it it went from that into what it is today. So how does the app, you know, from a consumer side of things, like if someone was to download the app, like how does it work? Like I think it's really important. Like when this isn't like a a Monzo kind of situation or something like that. Like it's it's a it's a slightly different. Um, and much more, I love that you said that you're creative because it is a more creative approach to to saving and money, I think. So what does that, what's that experience like for a user? Yeah, so um, so currently we're a web app, um, so you can access it on your browser, um, on your phone, um, laptop, tablet, whatever. Um, we're actually working on our mobile app, which hopefully we should be launching soon. But anyway, so how the product works is when you sign up, you can browse through a curated um a list of products, hundreds, we have hundreds of products available from brands like Selfridges, Harrods, Farfetch, Harvard Nichols, and so on. So if you see, so you can basically spot like a Gucci bag that's like a thousand pounds, for example, and then you decide what your budget is. So let's say you can afford to save a hundred pounds every month into your cashmere accounts. So every month that money is deposited into your cashmere wallet, um, and then you can track how close you are to what's hitting your goal. Um, and then once you hit your goal, um, so yeah, so you can track up as you are towards hitting your goal and you also receive um, um, personalized motivational messages once you've hit certain key milestones to kind of like keep motivating you to carry on. Yeah. So once you've hit your goal, you get another message saying like, congratulations, you, you, can, you can buy this now, you know, treat yourself. Um, and then you can, you then place the order directly on Cashmere. So we've actually built both a FinTech product, but then also like the e-commerce elements of Cashmere, um, e-commerce wow. elements of, of that process. Um, and then, yeah, so once you uh, place the order, the order gets processed by the brand and um, it gets shipped to your door and then you receive up to 3% cash back towards um, your next purchase. 
Wow, that's what the current amazing. product is but like we have a loads of like really cool ideas that we, we're working on um so we're actually building a gifting feature at the moment where you know like let's say it's your birthday or it's christmas and people don't really know what to give you but you have this gucci bag that's been in your wishes for the past 10 years so you can just generate a link and then send it to your friends and family and then they can just donate money towards your gucci fund um and so like really we're, we're building that hoping to launch that just before christmas because you know I have a lot of things on my wish list that I would like people to fund. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then we're also yeah, well, doing things around like group saving. So you'd be able to set up group to groups of your friends and save together as a group rather than individually to kind of like, you know, add to that competitive spirit that we all as human beings have. It's such a good idea. I remember I got a mulberry bag for my 25th birthday and it was like, my poor partner had to go around like gathering cash from every, like loads of people. Yeah. He's like running around town with like a grand in cash, like going to some bridges. <laughs> yeah. So it's a really, really, really great idea. And, you know, I think, you know, you mentioned that you, you were a financial advisor, like that's your, your background. Do you think like that's obviously has helped in, in many ways, I'm, I'm assuming in terms of what you're doing and even just having the idea, like this kind of responsible approach to, to finances, which not like not everyone has. And I think like we can talk about this a bit later that I think many young people are, you know, getting themselves in debt and this, that and the other. Do you think that like Kashmir would exist if you hadn't had that background in the kind of corporate world? And what were the things that you maybe had to learn as you've been kind of becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, sure. I think I think my previous background as a financial advisor definitely helped a lot, like particularly around understanding personal finance. I mean, even though the clients that I dealt with were like wealthy millionaires, but the same it's the same concept. Um, you know, it's the same saving, budgeting. They still have to budget and they still have to save. Obviously, at a much larger scale, but it's the same skills that are required. Um, and you know, one of the things that we were really doing, and um, one of the things I was doing on my previous job was like long term cash flow planning and what that meant was you know when we meet up with our clients we we try to understand what are their goals what their future life goals um so let's say like it's a client who's like 40 or maybe 35 and then they want to retire in the next 20 years let's say when they're 55 so we ask them like what what do you want to achieve on retirement in terms of like what lifestyle do you want to live and a lot of things come up in terms of like they want to pay off their their children's private school fees they want to be able to go on x number of holidays a year they want to be able to pay for their parents care home fees all that stuff so um and then from there we work out how much we think would they would need to have saved or invested in order to achieve those different life goals and then from there we now say okay this is how much you need to be investing every year in order to achieve that um, and we're sort of applying that same thing to Kashmir in terms of like what goals you want to achieve in life. And then here are the simple basic steps that you need to take right now in order to achieve that. Um, obviously, we're starting off with the personal luxury with markets, but we want to expand into other verticals, other lifestyle verticals that we know a lot of young women aspire to have. Um, but because of, um, you know, society and the way sort of like we're sort of forced to have this consumerist like instant gratification life so either you either you choose the wrong way of achieving that i.e., getting yourself into unnecessary debt or you just don't achieve the, the aspirations and goals you want because you're not given the tools to achieve that so what we want cashmere to be is you know being that personal finance companion designed for you the aspirational consumer and helping you get access to lifestyle products and experiences that you love but in a much more um financially responsible manner and when you were designing the web app, you know, was that a big consideration about making it very relatable, very like easy to navigate, very easy to use and not, I suppose, intimidating? Because I think 
um, conversations around finance can be can be quite intimidating in general. Um, and when you're kind of talking about this, did you just want it to make it feel like a place that people wanted to hang out rather than like a scary banking website? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, when I first started you know, building the app and you know starting to do like interviews with like potential customers, a lot of the things that feedback we were getting, particularly from female. Um, well female um, customers was that you know one of the reasons why they find it hard to get into like saving or investing investing in particular was because it was just so much jargon and it's just boring like the products don't look they don't really appeal to like women all of that and you know and even from working in as a financial advisor I noticed that even with my job because most of my clients were men like I think probably a good 95% of them were men even the company I worked for was majority men um, and it's just because you know it, the whole finance industry has cons- consistently excluded women because it's just made it so like our brain women's brains work differently we don't like stress we don't like all these crazy stuff we just want straight to the point simple uh, and you know jargon free whereas you know finance is not that so um it was very important for me to create a product that was very very much easy to understand and also um just didn't feel like a financial product and that's one of the feedback we've actually gotten from our users that one of the reasons why they love using cashmere is that it doesn't feel like finance like it just feels like a cool shopping app and that's what we want we want people to like not have to feel so intimidated or like confused about what's going on because at the end of the day like you know particularly with women we make up over 50 percent of the population and Mm -hmm. you know it's we need products that actually speak to us is much much needed in the ecosystem a hundred percent and you know I actually hate that I still have to ask this question because I wish this wasn't the case but like you've you pointed out you know the finance space both corporate uh high wealth individuals uh fintech entrepreneurs is like a very male dominated space it's very exclusionary to women particularly black women and women of color how how has that been for you you know kind of that transition and kind of having to have these conversations in these really like you know old white male dominated spaces and coming up with this fresh idea and you know what's that reception been like in that space yeah so i mean it is it's been an interesting one because i think throughout that sort of like university and my job well, my previous job rather like I've always kind of been in very white male dominated spaces mm-hmm. so I'm kind of used to you know sticking out all the time um you know I, I went to like a, a lunch the other day like a fintech lunch um a few weeks ago and it was literally I was like the only woman on the table and I think I'll probably be the only like person uh, like you know black person on the table also so it was just I'm, I'm kind of used to that already but mm-hmm. it, it, it does get frustrating sometimes because you know, especially when, you know, investors and, you know, people like that are all sort of like tend to be, you know, white men and you're trying to explain to them that this is what women want and they're very confused. They're like, oh, it's, it's such a niche problem. And I'm like, mm. it's really not. Like, it's really, really not a niche problem at all. First of all, women make up 50% of the population. How is yeah. that niche? Um, women and who second... like nice handbags is not a niche sector. Exactly. Like, it's quite exactly. big. <laughs> exactly but it's like because they can't relate to the problem so they just automatically like dismiss it um so it does get very frustrating but I mean they're they're always you're always going to get that and I think 
as long as you understand that like their opinion doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because you know especially when you know your stuff and you know your market the market that you're building for um and you always find people who will believe in that market you're building for um so that's kind of what I, I tell myself to keep me going um but yeah it, it does get very frustrating having to like really explain things I remember one time I was at an investor meeting very early on in my journey building Kashmir and the the, the question the investor asked me was like do young women really like a thousand pound handbags and I was like okay it's time for end this meeting <laughs> because there's no point like if you don't even understand the basics of that then there's no point even carrying on um so yeah I'm like I feel sorry for your wife also maybe if you don't understand <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> But, you know, and I think you, you touched on investors, like what has your, what has the funding experience of Kashmir been? Like, so have you, you've raised some money? Like, um, you know, where are you at in that, in terms of that, that funding journey? Yeah. So, um, so we raised um, a bit of money. So we raised about £120,000 um, early on to help um, us like, um, like get our product. To, well, not to help, the product was already market when I raised, after I raised um, and just to kind of like help us grow the business and stuff. Um, and then well, that was that was just from angel investors and just from networking and just hustling because I didn't have any networks of people like I didn't have any rich friends or family to just give me mm-hmm. money all of that so it was kind of like networking at events and you know get telling people about what I'm building and saying like if you know any investors like send them my way all of that um, and so yeah I was able to connect with you know some amazing like angel investors through that um, and then so so that was for like our pre-seed round and then now we're raising a million pound seed round and we've got a few more investors already committed to that and we've got a fund also investing in our company so which is great um, because you know there's that whole stat of like I think there's currently is about only 10 black women have raised um, venture capital funding in the UK over the wow. past 10 years. Um, so well, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's not, it's a very, like, I understand it, but it's, it's shocking still. Yeah, it is very, very shocking. And it's so frustrating when it's like that stat exists and a lot of investors are like, oh yeah, we know we need to do more, but then they don't do more. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, but I mean, for me, like, I don't focus too much on all of that sort of, like, VC, like, trying to, like, convince people that I am worth, like, getting their money because I think all the investors that we've had so far invest in our company, I've never had to convince them. They just automatically understood the it. problem yeah. and they just wanted to back it from day one. Um, and for me, that's, so that's kind of the approach I take. Like, if I feel like I have to keep explaining to you that young people do want a thousand pound handbags and a lot of them are getting into debt trying to do that then surely you don't understand the vision of what we're trying to build and I would just rather not like (laughs) engage more Um, yeah and I guess those people that you're having at that stage like yes you want the funds but you want someone who understands like who can help you with the business right and can have like share that vision with you and like you said if they're not there's no point trying to convince someone to get on board with your vision like they either are or they aren't and like yeah. I think that have you out of interest in, you know in terms of I guess the angels like have you had female investors or or is it majority male um so we, we've 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 had we have a mix of both uh, male and female investors um we're so uh, funny because one of our angel investors um she actually reached out to me out of the blue like she so she's based in the US um and she works at Facebook and she um yeah she reached out to me randomly she was like I was doing some research into like you know consumer fintech and Gen Z and all that and I came across Kashmir through another she came across Kashmir through one of my current angel investors who like 
person about us somewhere else mm-hmm. and she was like oh my god like I've listened to every single podcast that you've been on and I really love what you're building and I want to invest in your company and I was like whoa amazing <laughs> like so but that's what I mean like and this is kind of how a lot of like the investors that we've gotten have been like either like I know them and they just came they just said to me like hey like I, let, I want to invest in a company or literally just out of the blue and like hey I love what you're building how can I invest um and so yeah but we are both I'm grateful that we have a good mix of um both male and female investors because I think you know particularly with the female investors because we know like when it comes to investing we they're way less um, women angel investors for a number of reasons but always goes back to the you know women are tend to be more risk averse Mm -hmm. compared to men men will throw money at anything particularly (laughs) American men um so um but it's good to see like more women are taking um that initiative to start angel investing uh particularly in like you know female founded businesses because the more angel, female angel investors we have then the more female business um businesses that can get funded and yeah that would definitely help with the ecosystem and we'll have better products because you know so many so much research is showing that women ceos are much better than male ceos i mean the stats are there so you know you'd expect that women founders be funded but apparently not <laughs> yeah i feel like your kind of personal brand is all about talking about money and i think that it's still a bit of a taboo topic for people in general, but specifically for, for women. And is that something you've always been comfortable with? Is it something you've had to get comfortable with? Or, you know, and is it something that you really want to try and encourage other women to get comfortable with is talking about money? Um, I think it's kind of, it was sort of like a slow thing because because my background was very much finance heavy. Um, from, you know, from a young age, like when I was in school, I was always... I was one of my favorite subjects was business studies and accounting and all that so I kind of enjoyed those type of subjects anyway and then um obviously going to university um and studying economics and finance and you know even in in um I was part of different societies and I was always like the treasurer of the, of that society like I was treasurer of the fashion society and then I became president after but then I was also treasurer of the African and Caribbean side so I've kind of always been very money like yeah. but like, I don't know it was just I guess it's, that's just kind of how I've always been and I think also even like you know growing up and stuff like where I remember when I got my first job um my friend my mom made me like open up an ISA and you mm-hmm. know save and invest and all that stuff so it's always been like my parents have kind of always sort of instilled that um value of like you know working for your money and being able to like you know and also being able to like work for your money but also spend the money on things you love um so even like with my my siblings too like when they were turned like 12 or 13 they all did like paper rounds so that they could afford to buy the cool trainers that they want and stuff so because i didn't know money is designed to be spent but obviously in a responsible manner so yeah i guess it was a mixture of like obviously family but then also like the subjects and the career path that i chose kind of made me very much comfortable talking about money why do you think that, you know, like I said, for someone like yourself who maybe it's always been natural, but why do you think in general it's this topic that we, you know, we don't talk about, we're told it's rude to say what salary you're on or ask people what salary you're on. You know, you you don't want to compare yourselves. Like, you know, I just there just seems to be a lot of tension around talking about money when it shouldn't be a taboo topic. Do you have any, like, now that you've done so much work in this space, do you have any view on why that taboo is there and why it particularly impacts you know there's a bit of a gender split and it impacts women yeah I think like it's, it's definitely I guess in terms of like the way women girls are raised like we're raised to be a lot more conservative and a lot more like you know 
don't talk about stuff like that. Um, whereas guys are sort of like race to take more risks and, you know, boisterous and, you know, whatever. So and I think so we've kind of taken that mentality into our adult, um, adulthood. Uh, and also, I think also when you look at even within the UK alone and UK and Europe, where particularly the UK, where people are a lot more conservative compared to like US, where everyone's just kind of like, hey, and, you know, a lot more um, open about stuff. So but then what that means is that we don't talk about the important things like we don't and we sort of like sometimes short sell ourselves because we don't know, like, you know, how much we should be charging for certain things or like how much the other person is getting paid. And I remember I had a very um, an example. So when I was in um, working in my previous job and, you know, in finance, you obviously get paid bonuses every year. And we were not allowed to talk about how much bonus that we mm-hmm. got. And I found that so ridiculous. I'm like, why shouldn't I talk about it with my peers? And I remember one year, like I spoke to, um, there was someone um, who also was on my team who was like, um, he joined after me um, and we got paid for bonuses. And then I asked him like, how much you get paid? And he told me, and I was like, hold on a second. He got paid like three times my bonus. I was like, no, that's, and I had, I took that off with the, with the company. I was like, how is, and I showed them like, this is the work I've done. These are all the things I've achieved. And this person has not done any of that stuff. Uh, but yeah, they, they, he, he got paid three times more. But the thing is that if I hadn't had that conversation with him, I would yeah. have never known. And I'll just be grateful that I got, um, you know, a bonus. Yeah, well, it was, yeah. I still got a really good bonus, but it was like, hold on, I could have gotten more. Um, so it's things like that. Like, And I think that whole concept of like, you know, we shouldn't talk about money. It's, it's a way of controlling us so that we feel like we should just be grateful that we're getting something. Um, so yeah, so I always try and encourage people to like, you know, just be open about it because you learn so much and you actually start to realize that, hold on, you're actually worth a lot more than um, other mm-hmm. people are making, or your com- the company or whatever are, are, uh, are making it seem like. Um, but yeah, I mean, but I still think we do have a long way to go because, you know, once when you've sort of like been part of a certain culture for a long time, it's kind of hard to switch um, to a different mindset, a different culture. But I think especially now there's so many communities out there for women, particularly when it comes to money. I think it's empowering um, so many women to actually be, you know, be a lot more vocal about this type of stuff. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you're so right about it being something that controls you in it. And it just it just puts so many like limiting beliefs around you as well. Like I know in the Fan and Flourish community, we talk a lot about like asking for more money, like raising your prices, like all this stuff. And you can see like people physically recoil, like they're like, oh, that makes me feel so uncomfortable. And it's like, yeah, we're just not allowed to like step into our worth and be like, no, I am worth that bonus or I am worth that, you know, day rate or whatever it is. And I think you're you're so right. Like we're just been told, like, be grateful, like hey, women, you've got some financial independence. Don't get greedy. Like, just enjoy <laughs> yeah. what you've got. Like, you're allowed to get a mortgage now. Enjoy it. Like, it's, no, I completely agree. And I guess when I was, like, listening to you talk, like, you're talking about culture, and I think gender aside, there are cultural barriers to to these sorts of conversations as well. Like, like me, like, you grow up in a working-class family where your parents are always in, in debt. Like, then your conversations are around, like, not getting in debt rather than, I don't know, like investing in an ISA, like you're just not surrounded by those conversations. And like, I wonder, again, do you see that sort of thing as well? Like maybe class divides, racial divides, cultural divides around these conversations that are, again, like holding people back from step, just like getting comfortable with wealth and like believing that they can have it and they can, you know, get comfortable with money. Yeah, 100 percent. And I think like, you know, upbringing definitely Plays, plays a huge part in how we like think about money like I know for I know like you know 
like sometimes especially depending on like how you grew up so if for example you know like you said like if you grew up with like your family being in debt and sort of like just trying to make ends meet there is mm-hmm. that sort of like constantly working on the scarcity mindset it's like every little yeah. money that you have needs to be like conserved because you cannot afford like if something happens then you're basically screwed and you don't want that and sometimes when people even when people sort of like grow up and they're earning a lot of money they because they've grown up with that attitude they still carry on thinking from that scarcity mindset and rather than from like an abundance mindset um so there's definitely um, different like phases to that but I think like you know like I said it's all about sort of exposing yourself and trying to like break down those barriers and sort of like start to understand that there is more to life than you know constantly worrying about especially particularly when you don't need to worry about money obviously like everyone's different there are situations where you need to be a lot more conservative with your money like maybe you can't afford to invest because if you you need that money in the next six months the next 12 months and obviously investing that money could be risky and you, or you can or, or you should really be doing is saving that money around investing so I totally understand that um but I think like if you are in a position where you feel I can take some risks then it's definitely worth like sort of like conditioning your mind to understand that it's okay to take certain risks because you can afford to. And then also not just about saving and investing, but also spending your money. Like it's okay to enjoy like life because life is for living. Like the minute you die, you, you can't take that money with you. And you want it to be like on your last day, you think back and you're like, you know what, I enjoyed my life. Um, because also if you leave all that money, the tax man is going to take 40% of it anyway. So you yeah. have to spend it <laughs> during your lifetime. Um, but yeah, no, I genuinely believe that, you know, money is for, if money is designed for you to enjoy it and obviously responsibly, like once you've taken care of all your essential bills and all and saved for a rainy day and all that, the rest of it, like just treat yourself, you know, live life, you know, that that's, that's genuinely what I believe. I love it. And I think that like cashmere is like a real embodiment of that mindset because it, I feel like it's this, it's really encouraging financial independence, but it's also an irresponsible saving, but it's also encouraging you to celebrate that financial independence and celebrate your your hard work and your wins with that the thing that you've got is that kind of something is that like a driving force for you is to to kind of encourage women to be saying like yeah I earned it like I worked hard and like now I'm going to celebrate by really treating myself responsibly yeah 100 percent. you know like our our mission is to you know empower women like all over the world to be like great with their money so that they can have access to the lifestyle that they desire and you know we believe that you know if you was a woman you've worked really hard you know you deserve to treat yourself like even if it's just one nice treat a year maybe for christmas or your birthday like you know what that's my one treat for the year do it um and you know but doing it in a responsible way plan ahead and you can you can get that thing you want um and that's that's genuinely what we believe because life is too short honestly (laughs) it's too short to just stress out like you know just indulge in the love lovely luxuries of life i genuinely believe that (laughs) There does feel like there's been a bit of a a shift, even in the last like two or three years, um, where, and and maybe it's because I'm getting older, so like my mindset is personally changing, but there does feel like generally the conversation around moving away from fast fashion, you know, stopping going on like ASOS every week and like buying a £30 dress for the weekend, you know, I think conversations (laughs) around sustainability supporting local businesses i think the pandemic really heightened that conversation as well um is, yeah. you know do have you kind of seen that i mean i feel like cashmere has come along at like a really smart time for this because i think the consumers are wanting what you're talking about which is i think investing in 
quality pieces that are going to last a long time is is very on trend right now and very like in like in people's minds I think for various reasons yeah 100 percent. and I think like I mean the whole conversation of like fast fashion versus slow fashion is it's interesting it's a very complicated thing because you know sometimes fast fashion is all you can afford um at that point um so um, I, I wouldn't say that like oh people should never buy fast fashion because that's yeah, I can't expect people to be buying just luxury stuff. That's I still shop yeah. from Zara and like ASOS and stuff. Um, I think it's more around like you know thinking about you know it's a night out. Do you really need that dress, that new dress that you're just about to purchase? And I think particularly because of how like you know buy now pay later has made it so easy to like go on like ASOS a pretty little thing and buy a twenty pound dress and split it over three payments, which I find absolutely ridiculous. Um, so it's just sort of like forcing young people to just accumulate so much stuff that they don't need um, just to kind of live this lifestyle that is just, you know, unattainable. Um, and you can now couple that with Instagram and influencers and all of this like stuff. So um, for us at Cashmere, like we genuinely believe in like conscious consumerism. So really thinking about what are these like simple um, sort of like investment pieces, the statement pieces that, you, that will last you for a very long time. And investing in that, um, and you know, and as sometimes you actually save money from doing that compared to like buying a new dress or buying a new handbag every single week from like ASOS or whatever. So, like for example, like I remember five years ago, I bought this. Um, I treated myself to a Fendi handbag, and I still have it to today. Like I carry, I and I that was like my work bag when I worked in finance, and mm. I was carrying a bag every day. Like even now, when I do go out. And I have to put my laptop in. I take that bag because it's quite like a it's like a work bag, so it's quite big, so I can put loads of stuff in it. And the bag is still very much durable. And you know, if I had just bought like a cheap bag that was like twenty pounds from Primark or whatever, that bag would not last me six months. If with the way that I was using it, because I was using it every single day, that was like my main bag. Um, so I think it's also important to think about like you know. Um, what are these like investment pieces that you can you can you can invest in and that that would actually last a long time because in the long term it actually works out to be a lot cheaper um and so with cashmere we want to help people ever do that so like we we've we've had people like you know save up to buy like uh, a louis vuitton like um what's the louis vuitton totes you know the big mm-hmm. the louis vuitton tote bags that's like everyone that, that's that's like one of the classics um or like you know um or like you know the Givenchy Antigona bag which I like yeah. so things like that and it's like you know things they've always really wanted and those bags are going to last them for a very long time um so yeah so conscious consumerism is definitely one of our our, our biggest um biggest ethos um and it's you know since we've been operating we've never had anybody return an item um you know the average in the industry is 25 percent return rate we have a zero percent return rate and that's because people are actually investing in stuff that they want because they've saved mm-hmm. up for like five six months for it so that means they genuinely want it and it's not just like a you know impulsive impulsive purchase totally that's what i was gonna say like i feel like cashmere is amazing because it on the flip side when you've got these like clanas and like that sort of thing it's like that's encouraging like that impulse buy so it's sort of like oh okay you can have this now you can spread it out over all these months whereas you're saying okay you can still spread that money out over a certain amount of months but you're going to get the thing at the end of it and that gives you the time to be like is this what I really want because you might have like seen something and then six months later you're like actually it's not my style like I just got caught up on the hype of it you know or whatever and then 
I think it's it's amazing because it just like it's almost quite meditative. Like you're kind of okay, like I'm putting this in every month. Yeah, I really want that. And it's like I love that you just remove all guilt away from treating yourself because like I've done it and I saw a meme this morning it was like adult life is just transferring money from your savings account to your current account like every week it really like, is mm, yeah I've been there for sure but I love that because it's separate it's like you don't even have to feel guilty that you're taking it away from your sensible savings or something it's completely yeah. like dedicated so it's guilt-free yeah. treating yourself which is which is amazing. You've sort of partnered with some amazing brands. And like you said, the, the web app is developing all the time. Like you now got this e-commerce stuff. Like I know you're, you work with like Farfetch and Harrods, which is like such a nice, like full circle moment for you when you were shopping in Harrods and had the idea. <laughs> um, how did those brand partnerships come about? Like what has their response been to what you're doing and how much has that really helped elevate your, your progress in terms of starting up the business? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, it's great to have, you know, these amazing companies. Um, but we also like, you know, work with so we work with retailers, but then also some brands directly mm-hmm. and then also like and then smaller brands, like smaller, like up and coming um luxury yeah. brands. Um and I think it's it's amazing because what's what, what we're really doing for them is exposing them into a demographic that were previously passive fans of them and converting them into active customers because you know a good like about 90 percent of the people who signed up to cashmere are people who have loved these like brands and you know they love the gucci's and the chanel's and the louis vuitton's and stuff but they just could not justify ever spending you know that sort of money on a handbag and then now we have them spending two thousand pounds a year um on cashmere on, on on these products um so yeah so what we're really doing is you know getting these like I said, converting those that these people into for passing fans into active active customers. Um, one of the things that we really want to do in the future, though, is uh, sort of like have our brand like on Selfridges and Harrods and all that. So what I mean by that is, you know, when you go on, like, so let's say you're browsing on Selfridges website or Selfridges app, you can basically like see if you see an item that you love. And there'll be like a button to say like, you know, can't afford this now, start saving with cashmere. And so, you know, we'll have that. And because first of all, like Selfridges and all of that, they have a way bigger audience than we have. So that would be a really good distribution channel for us um, in terms of converting their own audience into our own customers. But then also it's sort of like, takes because right now like they i mean for example selfridges work also work with paypal um so paypal credits paypal paying three um yeah. and it's just like you know it's it's a it's a fresh alternative to you know to credit because you know when you see a bag that's like a thousand pounds and like oh i'll pay 333 pounds um mm-hmm. every month with paypal credits um it's as i mean it's it's okay but like for a lot of young people like having to fork out 333 pounds for three months it's it's quite a lot of money um so we work we want to be a but and you know there's no flexibility on that front so we obviously we cash it because you're saving for it it's a lot more flexible because you can add or like you can amend how much you're saving each month and it's based on your own personal finances and your own budget and all that so it's um it's a lot more um, responsible way of like achieving achieving those goals so we're really excited to um, um, launch that feature um, and then also we want to launch a um, like sort of like a Chrome uh, Safari extension where if you're browsing on any website online you'll be able to automatically add that oh, to your that. Kashmir account and start saving towards it so yeah so I mean the brand partnerships are really exciting there's so much um, we're currently working on right now and can't wait to just get it all out in the open yeah it's, it's awesome and I mean this is something I was just thinking when you were talking there have you have you like in kind of used influencer marketing at all? Because I'm just kind of feel like 
I could see that working so well. I think that the like an influencer mindset is like kind of perpetuated this hyper consumerism like we want this stuff but it would be really cool if you had influencers saying and here's how to do it responsibly i don't know if that's a route you've gone down yet it's something that we are starting to look at and we've previously not really we've done a a tiny amount of influencer marketing in the past but not like anything huge but right now where i'm actually sort of like putting together like a influencer strategy and sort of like speaking to different people that we think aligns really well with our brand because one of the things i'm really um um, uh, I really care about is sort of authenticity and um, mm. so I wouldn't like if for example an influencer has previously worked with like a Klarna or like a PayPal yeah. credit I probably wouldn't want to work with them because yeah. it's like it kind of it's not really it doesn't feel authentic because it's like you're promoting debt to young people and um, so yes yeah, so that's kind of like, but definitely I think it's something that would work and you know there's a couple of influencers within our community because we do have influencers actually using our product anyway and there's a couple mm. of them in our community that we want to like sort of like engage with um, even more and I guess put together we want to put together like an official like ambassador program and you yeah. know you know reward them for like you know telling their audience about us and stuff but yeah it's definitely something that would work really well for obviously in a authentic authentic way I feel like as well it works like I think the rise of things like cashmere but then also like these rental services as well like it just feels like this like really like amazing time where you've kind of got here's how to invest in pieces that you want to own for a long time and I guess like here's if you want that dress that one time for a wedding but you would never be able to afford it like you can rent it for 50 pounds yeah. like I think it's just you I, do you feel like you're kind of real part of a bit of a mindset shift that is happening happening within the consumer space right now must yeah, be exciting yeah yeah 100% I think like I'm, and I'm glad to see like you know with the you know the millennials and gen z's are really thinking about sort of like that sustainable fashion and you know like I think particularly with rental and obviously this summer has been like wedding season. Like it would have been mm-hmm. so ridiculous if you wanted to buy like a nice dress for every single wedding you attended. But obviously with brands like Unknown and Her and who are doing amazing things in this space, you can literally just rent like an amazing, amazing dress that you probably would never be able to afford for like 50 pounds and it's great. Um, so yeah, I, I 100% like champion sort of like that movement. And I'm glad that we are also playing a part in that sort of sustainable consumption movement. And what I can imagine is you, I don't know, like you maybe rent a dress and then you're like, actually, that was amazing. I would love to own that. And then you're like, then you could just save it through cash. Save it like it's exactly. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so before we go to some of the questions from the audience and, and your top tips, one other question I really wanted to ask you, which we've kind of covered a little bit, but is, you know, how do we shift our mindset? Like I, if people are just like, I can never afford these things, like that's not for me. Like, you know, I'm lucky for what I've got, like, what is the work that we can do to kind of really shift our mindset to be like, I do deserve these things and I can get them, you know, with hard work and being smart. Like I deserve these things. I feel like sometimes we just need to shift our mindset as well as the practical side of saving things. Yeah. I mean, I think that definitely having more conversation with like your peers definitely helps a lot because I think if I, if my friends and if I didn't speak to my friends about stuff like this, then it would have been a lot harder um, obviously be- with me I came from a finance background but it's a lot easier but for my, a lot of my friends because they just weren't in that world it's just they just found it hard to sort of like shift their mindset when it comes to like saving investing spending money but I think you know sort of like think about what speak to your friends speak to your peers but also think about like what lifestyle do you want to achieve in life and sort of like once you once you picture that whether it means like putting together like a vision board because I genuinely believe that doing things visually helps a lot and that's why even when oh we my build god I've got design... my vision board over here can you see it it's like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you 
Yeah, and I, I, I genuinely believe that, like, you know, even the way we built and designed Kashmir, it's a very visual brand. Like, even from the way you add products, your wish list, everything. And I genuinely believe that, you know, if you have a visual representation of what you want to achieve, you will achieve it. Especially when you see it every single day, you're like, okay, cool. Um, I'm going to work towards that. And I think that's such an important, important way to help shift that mindset. Because even if it means, like... um going on like um what's it called canva and creating like a, a small vision board of mm-hmm. all different things you want to achieve both personally professionally and maybe like making that your um laptop like wallpaper so you see it regularly and um, it sort of helps you think about like the things that you want um and how you how the steps you need to take in order to achieve that so visual visual um visual aids help yeah, <laughs> a lot i love that um Cool. So we've got a couple of questions. So Caroline wanted to know, um, what was the hardest thing about getting started? Like when you first uh, were like, right, I'm doing this. Um, what was the hardest thing? I don't know, because I'm a bit of a crazy person because I don't really um, like when I have an idea for something, I don't need to wait until like I know what I'm doing before I do it. I just kind of do it. <laughs> if that makes sense. So, but I guess it, it, the most challenging bit was obviously coming from a, uh i guess traditional finance into like this cool modern fintech world because they're two very different worlds um and sort of like starting to learn a lot about you know like the current landscape and learning all the jargon that's also involved in this world um and then and also because you know when i had the idea it was just kind of me trying to figure it out on my own so you know having to um i guess network with people speak to different people do loads of online research all that stuff I had to like upskill myself because I didn't have like huge amounts of money to pay people to do stuff so I had to learn like how to use Photoshop and how to use InDesign and how to mm-hmm. design a website and all these things and like I, I went I um so when I had when I was working on my idea obviously I was still working in finance and so every evening sorry not every evening I think it was two evenings a week I was going to like a coding school so I could learn how to code all of that wow. so there was there were so many like upskilling that I had to do in order to at least be able to create the version one of my product and know that and I think that bit is so important because sometimes like when you have an idea you feel like oh um I you need to be like so skilled in every single thing or you need the money to pay people to do certain things but sometimes you don't like you just need to sort of try and learn stuff yourself like youtube is great like i learned so much stuff on youtube mm-hmm. um and then what that means is that when you're now in the position to hire people to like take on whether it's the tech side or the the design side you because you've already done it and you you have a better idea of how to hire people to do to, to do a bit more obviously probably a much better job than you but you know what to look out for because you've kind of gone through yeah. that process yourself compared to like if you had an idea and then you somehow managed to get like a million pounds in funding for your idea then you just hire loads of bunch of people to do whatever um you're, you haven't really gone through that hustle of figuring it out on your own and you're you more likely make mistakes and it's a lot worse when you make mistakes with like a huge amount of money compared to like when you're making mistakes it's only a couple of hundred pounds here and there um so yeah I guess that was probably most challenging bit like having to upskill myself and like learn all these new skills I didn't have before um to in order to help me um build like the first version of my products 
Amazing. I think, yeah, you're so right. Like, you knowing how to do some of the basics of something can really help when you're trying to manage like a freelancer or a team member. It's like, okay, yeah. they might be the expert, they might be able to do an amazing job, but it's like just knowing the language to ask for things or yeah. you know, being able to call out stuff like makes such a difference. And I think when you're going into the tech space, just getting some rudimentary knowledge can like just make you feel more confident as a CEO, even if I'm not <laughs> yeah. the expert. That's yeah, awesome. exactly. Um, I love that. And then one more question from the audience is, which events have been best for you to kind of help you grow? So I guess that's from like networking to maybe like meeting investors. Like, are there any events that people should be really kind of throwing their money at and going to and attending? Um, I think events is so hard because you just never know what you're going to expect and you never know who you're going to mm-hmm. meet. And particularly, early, I mean, early on, I was just like going to every single thing, like literally after work, I would like go to anything I could find in Shoreditch or about let's say I'm going to invent bright. I was like, oh, what's happening in this place? Um, and I guess the thing is, as you start to early on, you're probably going to go to a lot of nonsense that is not really going to help help you. But I think everyone kind of goes through that. But it's after a while you start to figure out which one is actually relevant to you. And as you start to sort of make connections with people in um, at the events, they would then sort of like um, build a relationship with them, and then they could like refer you to another thing. So oh, I'm going to this, or I know someone who's doing this. And you know, like if if I look at think about the most of the investors that I have in my company. I met them through events or I met somebody who knew them through an event. Um, so, for example, one of my current um, investors um, is Amber Atherton, who um, she's a founder and CEO. Well, she just sold her company to Discord. She's founder and CEO of Zypa. And prior to that, she had a company called My Flash Trash. And then she was also part of the um, early cast members of Made in Chelsea. Um, and so I remember when um, this was back in 2016, I think, she was doing a panel and I kind of, obviously I knew of her through like maybe Chelsea show, but I also knew she was into entrepreneurship and all of that stuff. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to go to this event and like, you know, hear her talk and stuff. So yeah, signed up to the event after my finance job, went to it and stuff. And then like, I really enjoyed the stuff that she was saying. And, you know, I we shared a lot of like similar views about things. Um, so after the event, I was like, even though I'm like a massive introvert, like I don't really like, I'm always like, oh, people. But, you know, I was like, you know, but when it comes to that stuff, I kind of, like, get over it. And, like, if, if I need to achieve something, I need to achieve it. So I went up to her to the event and told her about what I was building. This was very, very early days of Cashman. Like, I didn't even have a website, didn't have anything. And then I told her, this is what I want to build. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about this idea. And she was like, oh, my God, I really love it. And then from then on, we became friends. She helped me so much early on in, like, the business in terms of, like, she, was, she came on as an advisor and sort of, like, helping get all these different contacts and all of that and then from then she then invested in the company and you know it was just it was so it was such a random thing it wasn't it was something I never would have expected to happen because it's like you know I didn't it's not like we had any mutual friends or contacts or anything we just I met her in event and that's happened with other um people also like who have either invested in my company or helped me in some way so I'm, I'm always you know when it comes to events like I think one of the important things is really when you go, like, go with a purpose. Um, it's like, whether it's, like, you want to connect with new... It could be friends, you know, because friends also help. But also, like, you want to connect with new investors, advisors, potential partnerships. Go with that in mind and then be very clear about what's, um, what you want to achieve from that. Because sometimes I feel like when people go to um, networking events, they don't really talk about what they're building or they're kind of very vague about it. And just because, you know, sometimes, particularly women, like you, sometimes you're, when you're shy or maybe it's too really early on, you don't want people to criticize what you're doing. So you kind of just play it down a bit. But it's like, don't do that because people buy into people. 
and, and if you're really passionate about what you're building and it comes across to your person they will want to help you and you know help you and if they can help you they will help, want to help you achieve those goals so be very clear about what you're building see what help you need be like oh I'm looking for investors do you know anybody who's an investor in this space and a lot of times people you know they're willing to like make those connections and those introductions for you I love that. And I think it's it's not easy if you're introverted to kind of put yourself out there. But I think hearing stories like that, where it's like, in that moment, like you might feel like, oh my God, I really, really don't want to do this. But you don't know if that like one conversation could be a complete game changer for your business. So it's like, exactly. if you just get the confidence to like go for it. Like you never know what could be on the other side of that conversation. Okay, amazing. So before we go, your top tips. So what are your top tips for someone who wants to start to kind of really nurture their relationship with money? So top tip is, first of all, think about the lifestyle that you want to achieve and sort of create those visual aids to help you achieve that. So i.e. you know, creating like a vision board of some sort. Amazing. And you kind of covered this in uh, the question from the audience, but if you could say what is the one top tip to somebody who wants to start an app or a tech business who's got no tech experience whatsoever, what's the first thing they should do? Um, Google is your friend. <laughs> and so like everything is Googleable. Um, everything is figureoutable. You don't need to know every single thing, but I think start to make connections with like you know founders either in a similar space or in a different space because you know as founders we kind of all go through similar journeys anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of the industry we're in, and you know start to listen to think about founders that you really admire, like you know early stage founders, and you know see if you can find podcasts that they um that they've done and like listen to stuff because a lot of times they give those gems anyway in the, in the podcast interviews um and then you know start to sort of like research them and so like um and one reason why i do free podcasts is because like i don't want people i and i share how like my journey has been because i want people to learn from that so they don't have to make the same mistakes that i did and i do and i learn from other people too so definitely like research um a lot learn from people um and just you know you don't have to know every single thing like I've met like founders of billion dollar companies and they still don't know what they're doing. They, they're genuinely <laughs> honest about it. They're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know how I've managed to get to this point. Um, so yeah, don't feel like intimidated or don't feel like, you know, you're not good enough because honestly, we're all just figuring it out. Yeah, totally. And lastly, what would be your one top tip for someone approaching investors with a sort of female focused product? Um, so first of all, I think do your research about um, that investor in terms of like what companies are they have they invested in, in the past, what sort of like industries or things do they tend to care about more because there's nothing worse than going to an investor, let's say you have like a female focused product and then the investor is like a deep tech internet of things mm-hmm. investor, they're like, they're like what? Um, so yeah, definitely do your research um, and understand like, first of all, what type of investor do you want? Um, is it angel investor or is it VC and understand the different requirements for that. Um, angel investors are probably likely to back you because maybe they have um, experience in that space through their work or just a personal passion for that industry. Um, so they might not necessarily be looking for, um, you know, like this, we want you to be a billion dollar company in the next five years, whereas VCs, they want you to be a billion dollar company in the next right. five to seven years. So think about how you're going to frame, and if, if that's what you want, if you want to become a billion, we need more women with billion dollar companies. So if you want to do that, but then so you have to think about how do you frame it um, and how uh, to ensure that you will become that, um, you know, billion dollar company in the next five to seven years. Um, so it sort of varies, um, and there's loads of research online to talk that shows about how to like pitch to VCs compared to angels. Um, 
yeah. I know Tom Blomfield, who's the founder of Monzo, um, he just um, released a really, really amazing blog post recently. So if you just, I think his website is tomblomfield.com, um, which is pretty easy. Um, he, he did a really um, good article about how to like pitch to investors, both from angel perspective and also from a VC perspective. I love that. That's brilliant. Irena, how can we find you? How can we follow you? How can we support you? Like, how can people get involved and use Kashmir? Where can we find you online? Um, yeah, so Kashmir, you can find Kashmir on kashmirapp.co.uk or if you search Kashmir app on Google, it's the first link that comes up. Great SEO. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so yeah, sign up, send, send me some feedback because we're constantly... Um, wanting to improve on our products and tell all your friends about us. We have a referral program. So if you, if you share your referral link, you get five pounds added to your cashmere account. So getting oh, cool. closer to your to your dream item. Um, we're also on Instagram and uh, Twitter. So it's cashmere underscore HQ. Amazing. Yorana, thank you so much. This was a really great conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Bossing It podcast. If you can spare a couple of seconds, we would love it if you could rate, review and subscribe wherever you're listening as it helps other people find the podcast. If you want to hang out with us online, you can find us on all socials with the handle at Found Flourish. So you can tweet us, slide into our DMs, get in touch however you'd like to nominate a guest or let us know if you've got any questions about the topics we discuss during the series. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.